swung a heavy hammer They all stood around I was trying to split across it Halfway on the ground But it's alright I won the fight I started at the bottom Hi, this is Billy G. Kramer, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Happy New Year's, my friend. Happy New Year to you. So every year I have a goal of reading 52 books in 52 weeks. Right. Your beautiful wife sends me the book, and this is my first book of 2018. Do you want to know a secret? Right. The autobiography of today's guest, Billy G. Kramer. What's going on, my friend? Yeah, what's going on? Um, I'm just uh, climbing through the snow we're having at the moment. In your book, you had one hell of a ride, didn't you? Um, I think so. I mean, uh, I think uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of enjoyment, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. It's you know, it was it's life. You know, I hope there's a lot more to come. <laughs> there's a lot more to come. It was a roller coaster. I'm reading the book. Right. I'm like this guy had one friggin' roller coaster ride of a life. It was fun. It was fun, you know. But I mean, it's show business is a hard business. Um, uh, it was difficult coming from Liverpool at the time because, you know, um, a lot of people, Liverpool, uh, it wasn't a bad name, but, it, you know, uh, it's it's funny because, like, you'd go to London and, and people would go, like, where are you from? i go, Liverpool, and they'd, like, take a step back. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> you know, it was just this northern town. It was blue collar, you know. And, um, you know, the, the Beatles, it went, it, you know, it wasn't renowned for having... You know, there'd been a few people who who'd become successful in the entertainment business, but nothing like the Beatles. You know, um, the Beatles came along and opened a lot of doors and um, put, put Liverpool on, on the map. Really, you know, it's uh, basically it's a dock side. It was a dock town. You know, my father worked worked on the docks, and uh, that was the main source of employment. You know. Um, then as time went by, it became like a, a container base, and a lot of people were unemployed. And it, you know, it was a tough place to come from. You came out of Liverpool, the Beatles, I'm sure many other bands. It's kind of like Seattle here. When Nirvana came out, all the other bands came out of a little small pocket. Yes. What made Liverpool like kind of a music hub, I guess? You know, the, you know, it, it's funny because, I mean, I, I've tried to really analyze that many times. I think it was just a period like that... Um, but we'd had Skiffle in, in, in England, at which people would go, what's that here? You know, Skiffle really um, was, was uh, made very popular by a guy called Lonnie Donegan. And Skiffle really, when I investigated him, because I was asked, some, an American said, will you do some Skiffle songs on a show? And when I investigated it, it came from America anyway. Skiffle is... So you uh, stole it from us. Yeah, Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, and... It was a lot of traditional stuff that uh, this guy, uh, Lonnie Donegan, rehashed in the 50s, and it was very successful. And, like, England wasn't known for it, but suddenly it was, like, all these, like, uh, 35,000 acoustic guitar sold. And kids, you know, it was after World War II, uh, kids could form a skiffle group with, like, a tea chest and a broom handle, an acoustic guitar and a washboard, and they'd sing all these... Skiffle songs. Well, you know what's funny? I'm glad you just mentioned World War II because 
in the book, you mentioned Liverpool, World War II. You never put two and two together because you always think of the three or four like, main cities. But you grew up and your place was, Liverpool was really affected by the war. Well, yes, it was because, uh, you know, obviously the docks, um, the, the opposition, I don't like to say it. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, the Germans were, you know, wanting to knock out the docks, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, um, we had an air raid shelter in the backyard, which was just... Uh, corrugated iron and uh, I mean I was a baby I mean I don't remember that but you know my father and mother obviously have told me all about it you know uh, it was all going down there was just a candlelight I mean it must have been horrendous really when I, when I think about it you know now Billy J you're ro- you are rock and roll royalty so I do appreciate you first of all coming to my show that's super cool thank you you're my first music guy I've had on Super Bowl champions comedians world every sport every athlete you're my first musician to come on the show so i appreciate that like Uh, thank you legendary this is like i'm i was actually a little nervous one because i don't know anything about music so i was nervous about coming on here and trying to bullshit my way through the music (laughs) aspect (laughs) you don't have to bullshit your way through it i'm just a regular guy that's all you are now one more question about liverpool we're talking a little bit of football are you still a big soccer guy growing up in liverpool yeah i I was a big soccer fan you know Mm -hmm. i uh my father used to take me to anfield and I used to watch Liverpool in the low divisions, struggling as a kid. And, you know, in, in the 60s, they became, uh, at the same time as uh, the Beatles, they became very successful. And, and it was great to know the, a lot of the guys who played for the team and the manager and, and something. Like that. But, you know, funny enough, I mean, I, I was a big George Best fan. Because I would read about George Best. Well, Simba's jumping some. Simba, you can always jump in. If someone yeah, talks soccer, you know, Simba's when here. I, when I talk about George Best, you know, people say, like, why? And, and I just had this thing that, you know, p- people say, like, who was the fifth Beatle? Was it Brian Epstein? Was it this guy? Was it that guy? And, and I always go, no, it was George Best. And they say, why? And I say, because George Best was in the newspapers every day of the week alongside the Beatles. And I thought, you know, what's going on? Because suddenly, it had never been known before, there's this soccer star with long hair and good looks and thousands of girls screaming. I thought, I, it, I mean, people wouldn't have liked it, but I thought, i got to go and see this guy. <laughs> you know. So I, so I got on the train, I go to Manchester, and, and there's thousands of girls screaming. And I could understand why. He was good-looking, and he was... Brilliant. I mean, out of all the players, and I've seen a lot of great players, uh, George Best, to me, was the, he had the perfect name, George Best. Uh, and he was a gentleman, uh, a very humble guy, and uh, I'm sorry he's not around today. That's actually pretty cool. George Best, I'll get his jersey now. Now he'll be my favorite. Yeah. From Liverpool to New York City, give me a first impression of the Big Apple. The Big Apple, I came here with Brian Epstein. And we start, uh, we got off the plane and I stood on the sidewalk outside waiting for the cars to take us to the hotel. And I went, you know, I think we should get to the next plane. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Wait, why? Because you live in New York now. Wait, what was it about New York City that you know, intimidating? I, it was, I was intimidated. I was totally overwhelmed by it. I mean, I still, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm an American citizen now. I've lived here a long time. I think there's no place like it to fly into. Still, it gives me the chills when I fly in. It gives me the chills when, when I go to the immigration and they go, welcome home, Billy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, that's something I don't get in, in London. You know, um, um, it's a great place, but at first I was like, yeah. it's overwhelming, right? When you overwhelming, you know, and, and when you're writing, a, like, I remember write, writing a, a postcard home and saying, "I'm having dinner on the 47th floor," and I'm like. See, Simba's here. Simba came from goes Simba from Zimbabwe to Alabama to New York City. If that's some change, I don't know what is. <laughs> yes. So uh, Bill and I obviously we share like a uh, commonality in that like I'm from a Commonwealth country. Yes. You know. So when you were talking George Best, I'm a Manchester United fan myself. Right. However, my father was a big, big Liverpool football fan. Right. And I wanted to ask you, in your opinion. Who do you think was the greatest goalkeeper in Liverpool history? Because one of the greats is from Zimbabwe. Um, Bruce, Bruce Bott, Groveler? Yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> That's all Simba wanted to do, right? <laughs> well, well yeah, he's I, one of my idols. I've been to Zimbabwe. Yeah, really? I played in Zimbabwe. Wow, where, where did you play? I oh. played at a place called the Celebrity Club. Okay. Many years ago. Wow. How, was, how was it? Yeah. Well, it was great. I, I really enjoyed the time I spent there. That is one I didn't even know like until like you just mentioned. I, I, I spent a month there. A month in Zimbabwe. Uh, what was your impression of the Zimbabwean people? I <laughs> loved it. I had a great time and I, the thing I liked about Zimbabwe was uh I, I remember sort of I stayed in, in a Rondavo. Okay. You know what that is? Yes. Uh, and I remember standing out in the rain with uh-huh. a bar of soap washing myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is so home. Yeah, that is so home. Yeah. you know, like and it's it's the yeah. people. Like, yes, what, it's what I miss the most yeah. about home. Yeah, I met some really great people, yeah. and I learned to play chess. <laughs> <laughs> Did you in Zimbabwe? Yes. <laughs> I played a lot of chess. <laughs> unlike the the thing that like I always like guess a lot of people is that unlike most African countries, Zimbabwe, even more than South Africa, the people are probably the most British of all African colonies. In terms of like our like lifestyle, yes, and like how we live. And I went to the falls there. Oh, Sim is trying to take me there. We've been trying to plan a trip out to the Zimbabwe. Come, tell Mike. Yeah, right. You're crazy. (laughs) Really, I'm trying. All I I do is travel. He won't go there with me. I'm trying to go there, Billy. I'm not allowed to go into my country. Oh yeah, Sim is uh, now for reasons that like a political reason. Sim is banned from the country. I I met some really nice people, (laughs) you know, and I, I. I had friends who, who left when Britain pulled out and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which, you know, I, I don't know a lot about. You know, it's, I don't like to get into politics. We're not, no, no po- we don't do politics. Only yeah, when I Simba drinks I, do we go into politics. If I did know about the, what, the politics, I would say something, mm-hmm. but I really... Yeah, I don't know enough about I, I Sometimes I sound ignorant if I talk about it, know, so... I, I'll be honest with you. It, it was a time where people, I mean, would talk about apartheid. I felt that there was less apartheid in Zimbabwe. Wow. Than South Africa. Did I read it in your book, or I might have Googled you this morning. Were you the first white person to play in... Soweto. Yes, yeah, Soweto. Really? Africa. Yes. First white person ever to play there. Wow. Yeah. That was, I found that fascinating. And how were they? Were they receptive to you? Were they fans of you, or...? It, it was... It was I always say this. I know what it's like to be black. You were, yeah, you were the complete because minority. I was the, the minority. Wow. And there was just like thousands of these people uh, with happy faces. And, and I, I think they would have been into anything, you know. And I, 
I got a big kick out of doing it. Now, before I bullshit my way through the music part of your career, now, <laughs> I did some research. We can do the one thing I'm actually, and this, I don't know if this comes off silly, but you're sober now for a long time, and I think that's your biggest achievement because um, the disease runs in my family, yes, up and down, and you're you were on pills and drinking forever, yes, and I think that was that's my favorite part of the book is because that really touched home for me. So you've been sober now for a long, long time, right? Yeah, I'm 31 years. Congratulations! I find that just beyond breathtaking, man. That's awesome. Is um, it's uh, I think you know I I don't see it the same as that. I see it more now because mm-hmm. I look at it, the damage that you do that you don't realize you're doing at the time, you know um, the hurt you can put on people, uh, a lot of stuff you know and um, it's it's to be sober and to be able to help people, you know and do good things. I mean. Uh, Today, I mean, I've I've done things that I don't think I would. Have, they're not like million-selling albums and platinum albums and things like that. But some of the things that I've done in sobriety, uh, I would never have done. More rewarding than any song. Absolutely. And now, did you ever? Because I don't know if you really got into it too much in the book. Was there a rock bottom moment, like, oh my, I need help now, or is it more like, okay, I want to get my life back together, kind of a aspect of it. I think there was a, a time where I'd met my wife. And you gave her so much credit yes. that she put everything into perspective. Um, I'd met my wife, and I, I just thought, that I'm, I'm going to lose her. I've lost a lot of stuff already. Um, um, I think that I've done a lot of damage to my career. I, I think I could have done a lot, a lot of other things that I've been sober um, and I thought I'm going to lose her I'm going to lose everything and, I'm, and if I carry on I'm going to die and I don't want to die because I used to be happy and I'm going to be happy again <laughs> are you happy now? Yes. are you in a good place? I mean we have arguments now and again but you know well I think we're in a good place how about you? you're in a good you play, you're happy now? Uh, I'm, in some ways yes I, uh, I'm happy about I'm happy with the music I'm making mm-hmm. now. I think it's better than I did in the 60s. Did you ever look back at your music now and you're like, oh, shit, I was pretty effed up, drunk, or... No. Un- no okay, okay. I, I look at it and think I could have done better things. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but in all the time, I, I only ever did one recording session where I had a few drinks, and I listened to it the next day, and I never did it again. Oh, really? <laughs> so now, oh, deep breath, we're going to talk some music. Simba knows music. He'll help me out. Literally overnight, you became an overnight success with "Do You Want to Know a Secret?" Right. You said in the book, Simba. He said that the song came out, and the next day there were people in front, of, like thousands of people in front of your house. Yes. How do you cope with that? It's very, it was very difficult. And how old were you? Nineteen, eighteen, nineteen. Oh yeah. so, so you wait, like, oh, I'm gonna start singing now because you were a blue collar worker. A blue collar worker, uh, and I was, you know, I always tell the story that I got on the train, I went to Manchester, and I did seen at 6.30 and at the time there was a political scandal going on called the Perfumo Trials where there was a lot of these politicians were knocking around with underage hookers Mm -hmm. and they had me pushing filing cabinets and throwing secret files around the studio and I, that was it I just thought this is a bit crazy and I Went back to Liverpool and I got off of the, the bus at the end of the street. And I, as I was walking up the street, there was a big crowd. And I, 
I thought, I wonder if there's a fire or something going on. I never imagined it was because <laughs> I'd been on TV. <laughs> you know. And, and, it, and that changed my, my life changed overnight. With that one song, literally your whole life has changed. Changed. Isn't that wild? It was wild because, you know, every time... I mean, I think about it. I didn't think about it at the time. But, like, my parents must have thought, like, what the hell is going on? And, and uh, you know, every time I went out, that they'd have to get the police, you know, and I started staying out all night and coming home drunk first, you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning, lying in bed all day and then getting up to this insanity, you know. Eventually I got into the touring and, um, you know, stuff like that, so I was away, so. And now in the book, uh, Brian Epstein was so prevalent and so important to every aspect of your life. Yes. And your name is hand-in-hand hand with the Beatles. Isn't that like... Looking back now, do you appreciate it? Like, holy shit, Brian Epstein, who had such an impact in your life, your career, and the Beatles, like, this, this was your circle growing up. That's, um, no one has that story. Well, no one has that story, and, you know, I, I never thought about it like that. Because it, so at the time, you didn't appreciate it? I, I appreciate it, but um, I think I appreciate it more now. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we were all, you know, starting off, you know, I... I Work with the Beatles. I'd met the Beatles. We'd, you know, we'd done the same gigs. Uh, you know, I, I knew I knew them, and I, you know, when they became successful, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't a shock to me. I knew. I always felt they were going to be turn the world upside down. You had a good quote. You like when you saw them. I know they're going to be bigger than Elvis. That was it's a yeah. hell of a call right there. Oh yeah, uh, and um, I always felt that, and um, you know, the fact that I mean, you know, the fact that they came up with songs for me the fact that John Lennon thought of the Billy Jay to me it tells me he must have been thinking about me you know and yes yeah, do you know that his Billy Jay no you tell the story Billy Jay except me I don't think I <laughs> well I was about to release um, do you want another secret and I'd made the record and then Brian Epstein called me in the office one day and John Lennon was sitting there and he said, John has a suggestion. And I said, what is it? He said, why don't you call yourself Billy J. Kramer? Billy Kramer is too ordinary. You need something to make, you know, people to catch on to quickly. Mm -hmm. And I thanked him and uh, wow, that's, that's history. And then that John and Paul, how many songs did John Lennon and Paul? I say like I know them, John and Paul. Yeah. They wrote... Uh, do you want to know a secret? Okay. And the backside of that was a song called I'll Be On My Way. Then John Lennon, from my 20th birthday, wrote the song Bad To Me. He gave me that on my 20th birthday. That's a hell of a birthday gift. Yeah. Um, the B side of that was a song called I Call Your Name. Okay. Which, funny enough, at the time I wanted that to be the, the A side. Um, then I recorded... Uh, I left them, and I had a big hit with a more Schumann song. Uh, no, not, not then. I did uh, Bad to Me, then I did I'll Keep You Satisfied. Mm -hmm. um, then I did Little Children. Um, then I did From a Window, another one of their songs. Because so you, you, you had a long string of like big-time songs. Yeah. How cool? And now explain to me from the songs to the British Invasion, which is when... Everyone came to the United States, and you guys just, you took over. Ed Sullivan's show, playing right. everywhere. 
the, the American fans just embraced you and fell in love with every everything about England and Britain. They loved your accents and everything. Yes. Will you talk to me? People say, I go, what do you want me to talk about? You know, I, I, I didn't really understand the fascination. What, with the, with the accent and stuff? Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> That's like when I travel and like I just got back from a, I was in Asia for a few weeks. And I was in like Myanmar, Malaysia, and they were like, oh, just talk. I'm like, oh, about what? Just talk. I said, oh, they, they were fascinated with the accent. It, it's, we don't get it because we hear it every second of the day. Do you mind if we, can we just stand here and talk to you for a while? Why? You know what part I love? And I know this is probably the urban legend part. Even though it's true, you've probably told this story so many times. Can you tell the one story of the song you turned down? Yesterday. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Tell Sim the story with yesterday. Well, wow. <laughs> I know what it's about. You know, it's. I never asked for a song. <clears throat> they always came to me. And, and that's, that's an honor when I think about mm-hmm. it. And I'd had a hit with a Bert Backrack song called Trains, Boats, and Planes. And I was playing in a seaside town called Blackpool for three and a half months and it was a very adult audience and, and I wasn't enjoying it because you know it was, it was very reserved and quiet and the Beatles were doing a show uh, a TV show from a place called the ABC and I went around to see them and for the first time I said have you got a song Paul and he sat and played yesterday and I went nah <laughs> Uh, and for oh years, and, and people said to me for years, what do you feel like? And I went, do you know, I, my rationalization now is that I'd done a slow song. I was playing to this very staid adult audience, and I wanted to sing some rock and roll. That's how we're going to justify this? That's how I justify Billy Joe, we can be sitting here. To- <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, you know, the way I look at it is, you can't win them all. No, you yes. can't. But yesterday's a big one to lose. Wow. We, we lost a big one there, Billy, you and I. Well... This could, you and I can be sitting here singing about it yesterday. You know, for <laughs> I, I, I just did a, um, an unplugged CD with a... I did all, the, all of the songs acoustically. And just for the hell of it, I did yesterday for the first time. Oh, so you never played it before? No. No. Did you like doing the unplugged acoustic stuff? Uh, I thought it was... Uh, it was... It was um, it was weird listening to it, you know, uh, like songs of totally undressed. And, and to me, um, it showed me one thing, that they were good songs, because when they stand up just with an acoustic guitar, that's it. The, you know, they stand up forever. I, I found it fascinating that you never uh, had any memorabilia from the Beatles you took. Like, not that you would feel funny, because I, I feel funny, because I have a lot of friends that are athletes, and I always do feel funny, like, I should have asked them for a jersey, but you never asked them. Nothing from the Beatles you ever kept that would have been... Do you know... Not, not even monetary value, just like the whole, this is uh, the first Beatle. Like, that would have been pretty fucking cool. Well, do you know, you know, it would now, but I mean, at the time, I mean, lyrics that they'd written and stuff, I never thought about that. You know, um, Brian Epstein gave me a spool of, of just John Lennon on acoustic guitar singing, Do You Want to Know a Secret? That's why I, how I learned it. And I, ne- I never thought of, like, shall I keep that? Nothing. I mean, I, I went through a period where I played every 
city town like Christmas show. I never had an autograph. Really? So now you're a heartthrob to millions of girls, and your beautiful wife's here, but we have to say it, you were one of the hottest guys out there. Everyone loved you. Good-looking guy. The myth, the whole I, thing. I was embarrassed. Like people, when I, I've read in books like that, you know, Billy was one of the, the greatest-looking singers in the world, and I go, what are they talking about? Because I, I looked at it like this, you know, to me, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was any lady killer. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I made a hit record, and I always say I became good-looking overnight. <laughs> you know, before then, I couldn't get arrested. No, no, not true. Because <laughs> you always took such uh, pride in your appearance, too. Your hair was always looking good. Yes. You came out in the suit. So it wasn't just your looks. It was your whole appearance, your whole persona that really... Well, I, well, I had a lot of pride. Did the, the myth of the groupies with the girls, it's true? Um, to some extent. I should have been a singer. I should, that's yeah, what I should, no, that's what I should have did. I, I know, I, I, I fucked up. up in life. I did. I should have been the whole singer thing. I think that's that, that trouble. Nah, that must have been fun, though. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> when, <laughs> when it stops, when there's no more thousands of girls outside, is yeah. it a weird feeling like no. it's done now? No. When I always, you know, because I, I always felt that I, I wanted to be known and, and, and become known as a good singer um, and an entertainer. You know, not this heartthrob, you know. And to me, I thought, you know, I started playing to an audience that were old enough, you know, and I was fine with that. I carried on making records. You know, it was, a very, it was strange for me because, firstly, Brian, I was with EMI Records and my contract was up mm-hmm. for renewal. And Brian Epstein was in the process of, um, you know, starting his own record label. And he died, which to me, that was like, that was a really big blow to me because, I mean, I may, I continued making records but they were I made independent records myself mm-hmm. I didn't have the knowledge I didn't have the clout to get behind them like, like a big record label so there were only uh, things that I cared to make at the time you know and funny enough you know I was it's like the, the, the last CD I made I won the fight the reason I liked it was because like to me I, I would go in the studio and I'd do the Lennon McCartney songs and all the other songs, I, I would sing them off a piece of paper, and I never sang them again. And, and people say, and I always say to people, the first album I made was "I Want to Fight" because it was the first time, you know, I sat down and took my time. I picked the songs, I did them the way I wanted them. Uh, you know, in the past, like when uh, when I was working with George Martin and uh, other studios, you were in there for a couple of hours. You know, my records, I, I had to go in and learn the song, A and B side, and record it in one go. And, and I'd never been creative in any way. Um, and, you know, that's why I'm proud of I Won the Fight. So now your creative, uh, like, genius is coming out now more. I think so. And so it was held back, but for good reasons, because other people, but now this is all you coming out. So you're like, are you really proud of this new record? I, absolutely. And... Uh, I think I won the fight. Was I mean, I'd made a lot of records, but it was the first time I, I took on a whole album. It was at a time when I, I wrote the song To Live 
Liverpool would love because I thought Brian Epstein hadn't got a fair. He should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and nobody was doing anything about it. Um, so I wrote that song and I, that was part of it. And then the last song is because he got into the Hall of Fame, so you had to add, yes. add Yeah, that's cool. You know, um, it was funny because, I mean, Ronnie and I, we were out in Santa Fe and I don't know why uh, I came home and I said to her, I'm going to buy another guitar. And she said, I bought you one 25 years ago and you haven't played it. And I went, I hated to tell you, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out, I went around a lot of music stores. I hadn't been in a music store for years. And I wrote to Liverpool with love and a song, Sunset to Santa Fe, where we have a home. And I really like the place. And it just started the whole thing. What's the difference between making records, albums back in the 60s in the recording studio to now? I know it's a completely different game, but it's just on what levels is it different? Um, it allows you to do things like when I used to make records, like, do you want another secret? You may have to take 50 takes before you, before you got a good, or you know, you could take part of like the first part and say the second part. Today you can take like one verse, one chorus, and you can loop them very quickly. So that's a great advantage. Um, things like, you know, in, in the 60s, like double tracking records, you had to be spot on. Um, today you can do things like ADT, auto-tune, stuff like that. You know, um, I myself don't believe in auto-tune. I think you, you should be able to just do it. I Actually sing it. I refuse to do it. Um, I won the fight, I'll be honest with you. I went in the studio for two days and spent one hour per song, all the way through. Hmm. Do you think, um, I've, I've actually been thinking about this like quite a lot. Um, do you think because of like the advancement in like technology in music, your music, like from like the sixties and like the seventies, is able to stand alone on its own because it's more pure in a way because of how it was made. Like most of the new stuff, especially from like the younger generation that's coming out today, is in a lot of ways recycling what you guys created in the sixties. Right. You know. Um. I just think that I, I don't like to criticize, but I think you know the it the, to me, for instance, like I will write a complete song mm -hmm. before I even think about recording it. Uh, I will have to be able to play it on an acoustic guitar, and I'll drive myself crazy. And my wife will tell you, and I'll walk around with notepads in, all over my house in the middle of the night, you know. I don't think people do that today. Mm. I think they write something what they think is a, oh, that's a catchy verse, that'll do. And like maybe doing it for the wrong reason? Like no, not for the wrong reason. They think it's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's the same passion, you know. Or pride in the music either. Pro the process is a little bit different, huh? The process is definitely different. But I mean, I try to keep things as organic mm. as possible. You know, I use... Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I write songs now with an iPad. It allows me 
where I will sometimes I'll, I'll think of a song and I'll, I'll, I'll write a song and I'll, I'll make a demo with the iPad. I'll play the guitars, the bass, the drums, keyboards. I'll sing to it, the whole thing. And, but then I will go in the studio and I will make it with the real thing. One song you wish you would have written or performed live? Because your boy, our, our friend Paul McCartney, he said, I think, what was his song? Piano Man. I think that's what he always said. He wished he would have written Piano Man. They said that was his favorite. What was one for you? Uh, one for me. See, I hate to say it because I, 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 I think Jealous Guy was a great song. I don't know what song it is. Imagine. Okay, no, of course, okay. Yeah, imagine would have been... See, those songs, they were great. Well, obviously, you know you've written songs. I hate that we're sitting here with a guy who hangs out with the Beatles. That's um, so cool. But, you know, I mean, when you think... I mean, they wrote so many great songs. You know, it's just... Uh, you know, to me, it's like... I, I have this thing which I said to my wife, like, there's a lot of copy bands now and all that. And one part of what I'm, I've been thinking of doing in my show is is learning a load of Beatles songs and have somebody at the audience throw a, a dart and say, like, whatever one it lands in, we'll do. And you know them all like that anyway? I'd like to. I could. I could learn them all easily. Well, I would come to a show. If we can drink in the audience, throw a dart on the stage, and all of a sudden Billy J. Cream is going to sing a song out, and Simber and I will be there for the first show for that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> all right, so now we're going to hit you with a few different random questions. Right. Simba, whenever you want, you jump in. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them or called them, they would call you back? I think um, Liberty DeVito. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's in your book, too. Yes. That's actually a really good one. Blows yeah. mine out of the water. Okay. Favorite venue you've ever played at? Um, favorite venue? That, that's a, a hard one because, you know, it can be a big place. I'm not, I, I'm not a person that, like, I don't like to play big places. You know, uh, to me, I think it's for, you know, to play in front of twenty thousand people. Yeah, it's great. But to me, it's in, you can't, To me, I like touch feel. You want intimate. Mm. You want the intimate, intimate. intimate feel. I'd sooner play in a small club than than somewhere you know um, where you, you, it, it takes you five minutes to walk across the stage. You know, I you know I think one of the things that I really enjoyed was when I was a kid. I sang at the London Palladium, which was a big deal. It was like Ed Sullivan, and I wasn't very good. And somebody asked me a question only a year or two ago and said, when did you think that you were any good? And I said, I was 52 years of age, and I was on a, doing the London Palladium. And it was the last night of my tour, and I did a great show. And that's... Because you, you, you're a perfectionist, it seems, that you were never really, even in the beginning when you had hit music, you, you didn't seem like you knew you were... I, I wasn't happy. Really? What, were your performance you weren't happy? I wasn't, I wasn't happy with me. I was very... Uh, I didn't think I was good enough. Wow. I didn't know what all the fuss was about. You know, I don't... You were 19 and you weren't prepared for it either, right? No. Uh, you know, I, I was just a very... I'm the same now. Yeah. <laughs> This is a life question, and because uh, as, t- as we're talking, I'm like I'm thinking to myself, you're like in a perfect position to answer like what I'm asking, which is, do you think sometimes when something comes so natural 
and like because you were like naturally gifted and like a, it's a god-given talent sometimes as we age we then appreciate those things because we have to work like a little bit harder to like maintain those things well in my case i'll tell you the truth mm-hmm. i got to a point where i didn't think i was singing very well okay and i was very concerned about it and i went to see doctors and the whole thing and my wife has this thing she says oh he, billy mumbles he mumbles a lot <laughs> uh, so i was i was with this specialist and i said my wife says i mumble she says no we'll take care of the singer first and the mumbling second <laughs> <laughs> which we never have <laughs> and she said she sent me to a a coach i've never had a coach in my life and i started working with this coach and i found that within a short time i could do things that i'd struggled my whole life doing vocally hmm. you know things came like you know there's always a song where you think that note's coming and it's going to be a bitch am i going to get it tonight that i've too many late nights am i going to hit that note you know it, it's just psychological yeah thing. mind fucks you yeah, yeah. Hmm. now i don't get that <laughs> Now, is it more psychological or are you more confident in your ability? And now, like, I have a, 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 an exercise program that I take with me on the road and do every day when I'm touring. And I'm, I never get worried about... People say, well, what do you take for your throne? I go, nothing. Water, apple juice. Are you still touring regularly? Are you st- do you still get the high also? It's like a two-part question. Do you still get the high walking on stage? Uh, totally depends. <laughs> You know, everybody has good nights and bad nights. I'm always nervous. Simmer and I actually did karaoke over there a few weeks ago. We, yeah. I don't want to brag, Billy, but we were pretty good. We did some karaoke, Simmer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's a video somewhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, you know, there are some nights where you can, you can go on a stage some nights and everything works. And, the, you know, everything works and yet you feel you haven't wowed them like you should have done you know, it's so, it's like, I remember once doing this show um, and we had the newest equipment that you could get, the best of everything. It was in a place in England called March and we went on and the band played great and I thought I sang great and I was like, nothing. You know, and the next time we got booked back there, and the equipment didn't arrive. Yeah, we'd, we'd been on a tour of Sweden, and the road manager was, didn't turn up with it. He, he was held up, and we used the local band's equipment and tore the place up. <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know. Hmm. I, I want a couple more minutes with you, if that's cool, because a few yeah. more questions. The Beatles, you can admit it, changed music and a generation and a life forever. Yes. At my generation, they try to compare it. Remember, I'm not a music guy. Oh, Nirvana changed. The Nirvana's our generation of the Beatles, which is laughable. It is. Not even close. Now, do you think any band ever can have an impact like the Beatles did on... No. Everyone here shaking their head. No, okay. No, I don't think so. Because, I mean, you only have to look at it. I mean, look at all the songs. There are so many songs, nobody, nobody has that catalog. 
or that longevity or that just everyone in the world from the age of 10 to 80 knows the Beatles, loves the Beatles, and just... That's it. And, and I find, you know, you, you, why... My wife and I remarked recently, why do you still see kids of 16 years of age with Beatle T-shirts? Mm-hmm. You go to Central Park, we're in Central Park, people still go to the Imagine thing, people still go to Dakota, people... It, speaking of um, like beating the test of time, the Beatles, everywhere you go... And if you think about it, it's the worst name ever for a band, and yet it's still... It's the greatest. No. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, let's face it. I was, a, what, 17, 18, and I'm going to Lutheran Town Hall, and the guy goes, next week there's a band called The Beatles. Why did I go? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought, i got to go see you guys. Back in the day, you can crush beers with the best of them, Right. Ever drink beers with the Beatles? Like you guys went out drinking? Yeah. Any good st- We want one good Beatles story. Come on. Even if you have to make it up just so it sounds really good. <laughs> no, I, there's, there's not a lot. You know, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 there's a thing of like John, John Lennon and I, the, the story where Paul's 21st birthday party when he, he got drunk in our hand and, you know, and... You know, I've read it in a lot of books, you know, the way the story's been told. And it was very simple. You know, it was Paul's 21st. John had too much to drink. He'd been in a fight with someone else. And I was stood there harmlessly with a girl. And he came up and he touched her boob. And she said, get off, John. And he tried to smack her. And she started screaming. And I just grabbed hold of him and said, you know, you're going home. And I put him in a cab with his wife, Cynthia. And that was it. Yeah, it was in all the papers. And everybody says, people in the last six months have called me up about, what really happened, Billy? <laughs> Just from that one little incident, people yeah. are still talking about it. Yeah. After the, all these years. So you drink with John Lennon, Paul McCartney, <laughs> and I sit here and drink with Simba. I want to know where I went wrong in this whole... <laughs> what happened? Yeah, what yeah, happened to my life? Lives, lives we live. John Lennon... Went- John Lennon was very subtle, you know. It's like I remember, so, you know, like, I was saying to my wife, we're on this, doing this weeks in every town. And it's like my wife tells me about the plate spinners and on Ed Sullivan, you know. And I used to feel sorry because, like, on the tours, there'd be a, a comedian uh, or girl singer uh, and a comper, and the kids would be throwing jelly beans, you know. And, and I remember this comic come come off the stage one night and he said to John Lennon I feel funny and John said well you better get back on there quick before it wears off (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's a great line you know I mean to me like there's not a lot in all the books that I've read uh, like when I did the rehearsals for their Christmas show at Finsbury Park Astoria to me I sat in that theatre and I used to go home to the hotel every night and I couldn't talk I was hoarse because of the, the things that would happen like scenery falling that you know they had this like mock up helicopter that used to land and we used to all get up the helicopter and walk and it used to crash <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know we had these big rostrums that were 30 40 feet up in the air and they'd get pushed to the front of the stage and all the electricity would get severed and you'd be stuck up there for half an hour. 
But looking back now, those are the greatest things. But you know, the, the, the terrible thing is, there's no footage of that stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> when uh, give me just the plug plug part. How can everybody find Billy J. Kramer? Your book, album, uh, tour, everything. BillyJKramer.com. Facebook. Facebook. I'm going to be doing the fest for Beatle fans. When is that? In March. Okay. And where is that? Okay. It's in New Jersey. Okay. Um, um, and I'm going to start getting out on the road again. Um, I'm going to have another album. Okay. Which I've been working on. How many songs do you have, like, just logged in? Like, just a random song. You might not use it. You just have just a shitload of songs just laying around. At the moment, I'll be honest with you, 15. 15 that I'm going to choose. There's more. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't s- know. I see you looking at us. Do you want Simber and I to sing with you on one of your shows when you go on tour? Sure. <laughs> no, you don't. Believe me, you don't. No. No. To me, anything for a good laugh. <laughs> no, we, wait, we take this stuff. We're so bad, Billy. It's not even funny. But, you know, it's... Uh, People were that, crying like when we did karaoke yeah. for the wrong reason. Yeah, they did. They, they were literally like. We, we were the joke of the bar, Billy. We were the joke of the bar. Well, you know, we had fun though. That, that, see, the thing is, it's got to be fun. And we were confident. If you, if there was no music and you saw us dancing, you're like, okay, these dudes are killing it. And then we're off tune. We're missing words. We're giggling. <laughs> is there an explanation to why, like, you always sound really good when you sing in the shower? <laughs> And then, like, when you step out of the shower, it's like, obviously, you, you, you... Because I think in the shower, in the shower, you're relaxed. People don't realize this. Um, steam. Yeah? You know, it's... it's cause really? It's funny enough, but we went to see Paul McCartney a few weeks ago. Um, he was doing a show. And he was talking to me about uh, Little Richard and how that... Little Richard always puts Vicks yeah. in hot water and a towel over his head you know, and breathes it in before he goes on stage. And Paul says he still, he still does that today. Really? Yeah. Simply, that's our problem. That's our, that, that's our problem. Vicks and yeah. steam. That's our one problem. We need some Vicks. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to crush it. Listen, don't be laughing. Let me give you the plug. Here we go. It's March 9th and 10th. March 9th, 10th, 11th, 2018. The Hyatt Regency... Jersey City on the Hudson, the continuing story of the Beatles celebrating 50 years of the White Album, long, long, longest running Beatles fan festival, doing it on the road since 1974. You're performing on it? I'm performing. Billy J. Kramer will be there with Mike and Simba, and we're getting. <laughs> do, you, do you know what song you're going to do? Are you going to do a bunch of them? I'm, I'm, I'm doing a thing uh, where with, with somebody where I'm going to be talk about all the songs that were popular coming up to the Beatles and people from Liverpool who were successful. Uh, and there wasn't that many. Uh, I'm going to be doing that. And um, then the next day I'm doing a full show with, with my band. At that, That's a place. I'm going to yes. keep plugging it. So, okay, cool. And I'll be doing songs from I Won the Fight and the old stuff too. Uh, to Liverpool with love, right? Yes. When you go back there, when's the last time you've been back there? In Liverpool? Uh, about two years ago. And is your name still heavy out there? You're still... They were still crazy. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. 
And I'm very proud of that. That is so cool. You should be. And you're, you're very proud of being from Liverpool. Absolutely. That's cool. The name's still heavy out there. Damn it. You know, I mean... I mean, it's not that really because I'm, I'm just looking back at the fucking mistakes I made. I should have stopped watching the Yankees when I was eight. I should have got a goddamn know, microphone and I came out here. I, you know, I, it's like my brother. I, I speak to my brother all the time. And he mm-hmm. goes, when you come back, you better be smart. You better get your hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they remember you. You come back like that. <laughs> Rock and roll legend, Billy J. Kramer. I can't thank you enough for coming on, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Thank you, Simba. Thank you for coming on, Simba. Thank you so much.